second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Shalomi brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I remember when my friend Tim, who had lived his life in Cape Town, South Africa, was getting ready to move to the Seattle area for the summer. And we had a handful of discussions about packing because he was getting ready to leave a very warm Mediterranean climate and getting ready to move here to the Pacific Northwest. And I found it very hard to explain to him what it would be like. Will I be next to Mount Rainier, he asked. Well, you'll see. How about the weather? Is it summer? Well... Pack something warm and also something for hot weather, and you'll see. Well, but it's summer, right? It's your summer. It's the Northern Hemisphere summer. Right. Yes. Uh, Yeah, you'll see. You find that when you're trying to explain something to somebody who has never quite had that experience, that words can only get you so far. And that is just like these women that head to the tomb on this Easter morning. They get up early because they have a plan. And as many people will tell you, particularly my children, that you only get up at the break of dawn when you have a plan, right? Either you're getting on a plane or you're going skiing, or maybe you have your own routine that you're going to do, but you have a plan. And the text is very clear. They woke up at the crack of dawn. It tells us twice. 
They gather their spices, they head out at first light. And there they are, setting out in, a, in something that they, are not, that they know exactly what they're going to do. They've got their plan. But in just a moment, a great interruption is going to stop them and is going to capture them. And that's essentially the moment that they step into that tomb. That was the moment that they hadn't yet been prepared for. As a matter of fact, with all the preparation that they had done, nothing could have prepared them for that moment. They spend probably the two days before, because don't forget the Sabbath is in the middle, so they spend those two days before getting all of the things ready, and then in the morning it tells us that they go out and they actually purchase the spices. So they weren't the only ones getting up at first light, by the way. So they're going out at first light with their plan, and they get to the tomb wondering, who is going to roll this stone away? Now that wasn't an empty wondering, There would have been Roman guards in and around the places where people were buried. And so they're wondering if we might find somebody who can actually help us to open this door that has been closed. It was very large, scripture tells us. And then they encounter this young man. Young man in a white robe. The word in Greek is actually a word for a youth somebody who waits on somebody else, somebody who's employed as somebody, else, somebody else's attendant. So it's somebody who is used to handing messages on behalf of another. In other texts, we learn that the women encountered an angel. Here, it was somebody who was young who was offering a message on behalf of somebody else. And then there's this sort of amazing juxtaposition within the story. The women with this grand interruption, their plan had sort of been dismantled by the fact that there's no body and instead they meet this individual who they were not planning to meet. So they end up sort of disheveled and confused. And then there's the voice of this attendant. The voice of this attendant who has a completely different message from that which the women sort of have within their own selves because they're confused and lost. And the young attendant tells them actually something that we've already talked about in our service today. The young attendant says, you'll see. See, that's the word that he uses when he says, go ahead to Galilee and there you'll see him just as he told you. And he's using that future tense of that understanding, not just to see with the eyes, but to actually have the experience to come to know, to come to know within one's own being that something is true. It's the same way that we use the word, you'll see. And these two sort of feelings These two experiences that live together within the tomb play off on one another. The fear and the confusion of the women, the utter disbelief of what could possibly be happening, and the calm, cool collection of the attendant who looks at them and recognizes everything that has happened and still says, you'll see. 
You'll see. So of course it's no surprise that the women run out of the tomb and say nothing to anyone. Of course that's what happens. This is one of those amazing texts where the writer gives us a real flavor of what it feels to be human and understand the complexity of the story as they encountered it in that time and space. I mean, what would you do? Here you are in this empty tomb where you had prepared to do one thing, and now you are moved in a totally different direction with someone saying, you'll see. When my friend Tim finally did move to Seattle and unpacked his bags, there were many conversations that we had where he reminded me, I thought you said that this was summer. (laughs) And I said, it's the Pacific Northwest. You'll see. Right? Because there are some things that we cannot know until we know. And there are some things that we cannot be sure of until we've encountered them. And that is the reality of this resurrection story. That the attendant is so sure and offers this message on God's behalf that indeed the women will see that the attendant is not baffled at all by their feelings of terror and amazement. That in fact, this angel, this attendant, this messenger takes it in stride because that is what we're like as humans. We hear that God is faithful and we think, that can't be right. It's not all fitting in the way that I imagined that it would. And yet the attendant says, you'll see. Friends, that is resurrection. It is the seed of expectancy in the midst of a hopeless situation. It is a complete interruption of the plans that we make around death. It sends us out into our world terrified and shaking while the messengers of God stand by and say, You'll see. You'll see. And they do that with the total and unshakable confidence that, in fact, no one is responsible for making this story known except Jesus himself. And the attendant is so sure that Jesus is going to make this message known to these women that he sends them out with this great confidence. You'll see. You know, we get a handful of other accounts in some of the other Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, the, um, they, they meet Jesus just outside of the tomb. In Luke's Gospel, they run out and they go and tell somebody, but then they all decide that nothing has actually happened, and so they just kind of stay in the house. In John's Gospel, Mary Magdalene runs out to tell Peter, and Peter runs to the tomb and takes a look at it, but then, in fact, goes back to his home because he's not quite sure what he saw. So all of the Gospels agree together that the one who confirms this resurrection story, the one 
who makes himself known as the one who has been risen from the dead is none other than Jesus himself. In every gospel, it's the story of Jesus and the, the, the way that they are able to meet him after death that the reality of the story is brought home. But Mark's gospel is unique in that it leaves us running from the tomb. Not just running, but fleeing. And for good reason. We're running as far away from it as we can because the one thing that the gospel of Mark teaches us and confirms for us is that Jesus is not in that tomb. They don't know where he is, but they know where he is not. And so they run. They abandon their plan, their spices, their up early and ready to go-ness in the morning, and they just run away from death with everything that they have. And friends, that's where resurrection takes us. We might not, not always know where we are going, but we know where God is not. And God, made known in the person of Jesus, is not in that tomb. And the women are going to be the first in leading us to get as far away from death as they can take us. Because they know that that is not the place where they are going to meet Jesus. As humans, we tend to be good at running away. We started hiding back in Genesis, and we've only perfected the running and the hiding since then. But just as God called us back in the story of Genesis, where are you? That great question that God asks us. So the messenger of God in this story of Mark's gospel will tell us with full confidence, you'll see just as he told you. This week, I received a PowerPoint presentation from my daughter's teacher at the school right across the street, which isn't meeting there because there's all that construction going on, which makes it difficult for parking, but is meeting over at John Marshall, which is in the area right near Green Lake. And the PowerPoint presentation had pictures of the school as it's being built, as it's emerging, different classrooms, different hallways, what the lunchroom will be like, etc. And one of the things that I've discovered is that as some of this information is disseminated, it actually leads to some more confusion rather than clarity, right? You get a lot more questions once you start to get the story out there. How will the kids get in, people start to wonder. Well, you'll see. How will security be enforced? Well, there's some answers around that, but then at the end of the day, it doesn't all make sense. So people end up saying, you'll see. And you know who could answer those questions about the school with confidence? The ones who had actually walked within the hallways. The ones who had actually lived and been within that space. Those are the ones who are orienting us about what the future 
is going to be like when it's open. You see, friends, the women come to the tomb and they are afraid because they had not been in the school. And the young youth at the tomb, he tells them with confidence that there is one who has gone not just into death, but through it. You see, he's been there. He's walked those hallways. He knows exactly what it's like. And he doesn't expect anybody to believe him. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter whether we believe him or not. The reality is, it's true. And the one who has done it, the one who has been there, that is the one who will tell you for himself. So go out to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Friends, wherever you are, wherever you are in your space of meeting God, go. Continue to run from the space of death, and Jesus will meet you, just as he told you. You'll see. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, for this text, we give you thanks. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and receive your gospel, to in fact be able to see you in the places where we go. We ask that you would remove whatever it is that could be interrupting us, help us to drop the spices, to leave the place of death to go straight into where you will meet us and to be open to that encounter. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.